Welcome to Madison Voices. Theater is a reflection of society and the times in which we live. We give voice to the artist's perspective on art, theater, family, and life. We want to take this time to celebrate the talent, passion, and stories of those who are part of the Madison Theater family. Thank you for joining us. I'm Angela Ferboni, Artistic Director of the Madison Theater Malloy College, and your host this week. My guest today is Broadway veteran of eight Broadway shows and currently in the Broadway production of Mrs. Stoutfire, David Hibbert. Welcome and thank you for speaking with me today. Hey, I'm happy to be here and thank uh, you for doing this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, let, let me ask you about your current production, Mrs. Doubtfire, which is currently or was in the Stephen Sondheim Theater yeah. in New York City. But before we get into all that, <laughs> you had a very successful run uh, tryout in Seattle. Uh, how did that go? We did. Uh, you know, we started the show back in May. I was lucky enough to be connected with the writers who were the uh, Kirkpatrick brothers, Wayne and Carrie Kirkpatrick. And they, along with their writing partner, John O'Farrell, wrote Something Rotten. So oh. last May, for about, I think it was a week, uh, they invited me to come and sit behind a music stand and learn their music and sing through this show that they had been developing, Mrs. Doubtfire. So I was thrilled and jumped at the chance. Um, you know, I've been in business for 30 years, as you know. So anytime an opportunity comes, what we call offer only, where they just offer you a show and you don't have to audition, I'm in it to win it. So, so that happened two weeks, I think, or might have been a week in May. And then the news came that the money people were all signed up. The Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle um, signed on and said, we want it. And so we started rehearsal in October in New York City for four weeks. <clears throat> then November 14th, right before the holidays, <laughs> the whole cast uh, packed up our bags and we did what is known as an out-of-town tryout. Now, I think... In your career, you've you've done an out of town tryout, well, right? I've, I've done a I've done a few of them. Some of that came back to New York, and some that it's didn't some come that back didn't. to New York. Those yeah. are always the ones. Victor that Victoria fun. was Victor Victoria, yeah, out of out town. Of, you guys, and so was the Full Monty. Yeah, yeah. See, this was my first opportunity to do that. You know, uh, for whatever reason, I've always uh, jumped into Broadway as a replacement, um, and then. Two of my shows went directly from Broadway. I mean, off one of them off Broadway to Broadway, and then something rotten went right from the workshop to Broadway. So Which this was a was, class act, right? A class act. Class act. Yep, yep. That went from off Broadway directly to Broadway. Um, so this was my first go round at the out of town tryout, as it's known, and I absolutely loved it. Oh, I surprised I, me. <laughs> well, here's here's the thing. And you know, like my life, I've got so many balls up in the air. Yeah. Um, whether it's teaching, whether it's voiceovers, whether it's maintaining an apartment in New York or a house in New Jersey. And at the time we had two dogs. So my calendar from 6 a.m. until 11 p.m. was absolutely full. So it was really the first time where I only had to do one thing i had to do the show because i was out of town um so but it's not real life that's what i always say when you're out of town with a tryout it's not real life no you don't have the responsibilities back home and absolutely you're, you're stuck doing one thing and, and, and well, I go that, I, crazy a little bit see i don't use the word stuck and i knew it was for a a, a, a period of time so we were from january uh November 14th, and we were supposed to close December 29th with a one-week possible extension. Right. So we had in our brains like, ah, December 29th, we Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then we'll be home right before New Year. Well, the show was a huge hit. Sold a out, huge right? success. Sold out. Broke box office records. Um, you know, they had people not only coming once, but bringing friends and coming back again and coming back again. Uh, so they they exercised their right to have the extension, which took us to January 4th 
Um, and then we were back in the city. But I never got stir crazy. What I loved about it was that the cast is able to form a bond that you usually aren't able to do when you're in the city That's in true. rehearsals, running to New 42, going to rehearsal, going on a break, walking the dogs, coming back, having dinner, you know, so there's not that chaos. And everybody's focus is all on the same, your eye is on the prize. It's the end result of the show. So for me, I, 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 I'd do it again. Oh, I agree. Anybody I mean, asks. I did love Victor Victoria for that reason. We had a great cast and a great, um, it was sort of an older cast. It wasn't yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of young people. So we just had a great time and we really bonded. And we had a great leader in Julie Andrews um, who really took care of us. But uh, we had a lot of fun on that out-of-town tryout. Yeah. I feel like it's a similar situation. We've got an amazing Rob McClure is uh, – the lead and I was lucky enough to do something rotten with him. So he had a relationship with the, with the, the brothers too. Um, we've got two, maybe at the time in Seattle, we only had two making their Broadway debut youngsters. And the rest of us were what we call seasoned. Performers. <laughs> but there is something to be said about, um, you know, uh, meeting with a group of adults that have been around a while yeah. um, and just unwinding after a show, but it's different unwinding. It's not like complaining, complaining. It's just like, Oh man, we're so lucky. Yeah. Let's get another drink. Let's hang <laughs> That's out. Right. Where Let's are we going? Wine. <laughs> yeah. Who's we're doing game night. Who's games. Yeah. Uh, game, so it, game it was nights great. Were always fun. Yeah, yeah. So this team did uh, something rotten as well. You said. And they sure did. Yeah. That was a fun show. It was a really fun show. How, can you talk a little bit about your Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, that was another show that I didn't have to audition for. And I'm not saying that to, to brag or anything, but um, I've been around for a long time and, and it, it's who you know. Networking is everything. So a good friend of both of ours, Casey Nicola, that we knew when we were performing, um, was uh, directing and choreographing this show. Um, in the first reading, I wasn't involved. So I was a audience member. <laughs> I went and saw this reading was the first time they put it up and lost my mind. And I went up to Casey and I said, I would do anything to be <laughs> in this show. And he was like, wait, are you serious? And I was like, anything. Yeah. Um, so the opportunity came around where some of the other performers that were in the workshops were already tied up with Broadway shows. So I, um, I say this all the time. I faked my way through something wrong <laughs> because it was a dance show. Oh yeah. But you're a dancer. You can tap. You can do that. I, I say this all the time. I am an actor. I'm a great actor. I act like I can dance. I act like I can sing. Well, <laughs> we got, listen, you and I met. In a dance show. We did, but... 26 years ago. Yes, but you know the role that I played and you understudied me was <laughs> not the dancing role. It was the best role in the show, and I say it all the time. Oh, yes. uh, it was yes. 1993, right? Mm -hmm. 1993, yep. Broadway Company of Cats. That's 27 so, years ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> 27 years. It doesn't feel that way. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Yeah, we, have, we haven't talked about being quarantined for this coronavirus, but the, the one bright spot of it is um, I have found so many old photos. We've been cleaning out closets, mm -hmm. old mementos, tapes, cassette tapes of my last performance of Cats that the sound guy <laughs> shouldn't i mean i bet it's illegal but he recorded so it, it's yeah, been great i know i know uh, <laughs> it was a gift it was a gift uh, yeah. as was i remember when i left uh the company manager came up to me and gave me a little uh note card and he said we wanted you to have this before you left and i finally left in 1999 um so i did the road from 1992 to 93 then I left the road in July, and then I joined you guys on Broadway in September of 93. And then I stayed through 96. Then I left for a little break, then went back to 99. Anyway, he handed me a piece of paper, and they added up all of the shows that I did 
they subtracted all of my vacation and they subtracted all of my sick days. 2,197 performances. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the show, I could have done it forever. You know, the the there were rules, there was choreography, but the lines were blurred. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a lot of improv and the role, the Rum Tum Tugger, he, you know, he's the class clown, yeah. although he's rock and roll and he's Kanicki <laughs> in Greece, still has some, some wackiness to him, which, um, oh, I miss it. I'm, I, you know, you know, of all the shows I've ever done on Broadway, the only time I was ever nervous was going on for Tugger. And it was just his first entrance. You know, when you had to pull, pull that thing down, that, that bridge drop down. I always thought there was going to be a little cat under that bridge and I was going to smash someone because I was going to pull it too early. You know, I used to panic every time I was up there because it's so blind up there. Yeah, yeah. I remember it well. It was with my right foot and there's a chain. kick. Yeah. But it's a great oh. entrance. It's it's yeah. one of the best. And also the Mistopheles when you when you get hit with the spotlight <laughs> and you get to jump down. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to go too far into depth about that moment. <laughs> but people always ask, what's the scariest thing that ever happened to you in a show? Like, uh-huh. can you talk about something that went wrong? And I hate talking about it because I feel like I jinx myself. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. It's that moment where um, the, all the cats are going, we have to find old Deuteronomy. <laughs> and it's really quiet and the spotlight's going around. And then Tugger is way up in the perch, upstage yep. left and says, you want to ask Mr. Mistopheles, the original conjuring cat. And everybody looks. And then he's got this eloquent speech that he gives almost shakespearean i know i forgot all (laughs) in that spotlight and marlena danielle who had done every single yeah for for the whole she was there the whole run i could just see her face shaking her head yes (laughs) and i was like he conjures the magician and he's magic so not only did that happen once, then it got in my brain. Yep. And the next day I was freaking out. I was like, I don't remember my lines. I don't remember my lines. And I was like, think of butterflies. You got this. And as soon as that spotlight hit, I went completely up on my lyrics again. Oh. <laughs> and Marlene was sitting there after that show. Wait, how many shows have you done? By that time, it was towards the end. It was around 1998. I I remember this so well because then I went to the stage manager's office after that show and I said, I need to take two personal days. I can't (laughs) do this anymore. And I did. I took two days off just to get it back in my brain. Um, And it became like this this moment. But I remember it was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Tony Roberts, uh, you know, the actor, Tony Roberts, yeah, we were doing Jerome Robbins Broadway together and he, he was standing on the side and he goes, sometimes I, I go to go on. And I'm thinking, I can't remember my first line. I can't remember my first line. And uh, he walked out there uh, to introduce the on the town section. And he just went completely up because that was his way. And I thought, oh, that's kind of crazy. How could you do the show that often? And I had that experience with West Side Story where I had done it so often that I remember standing just behind the door of Doc's, just about to make my entrance. And I turned around to the cast and said, what's my line? What's my first line? I can't remember my line. I can't, what's my line? And then I opened the door and I just blurted it out. But for a month, I had flop sweat every time I yeah. got to that entrance because I just could not remember that first line. Yeah, and, and for, anyone, for anyone listening that's not in the business, I think if anybody is listening and they this is what's known as the actor's nightmare. These are things we dream about. And we wake up like, oh my God, I had the worst dream. I was doing a show and I didn't know any of my lines. (laughs) But when it happens in real life, yeah, there's nothing, uh, you know, to to go back to Mrs. Doubtfire, and I don't want to jinx myself, Yeah, but I uh, play the role of the judge. And so I have a lot of legal legalese lines to say Mm -hmm. and there were many moments in seattle where 
the words just did not fit in my mouth. Um, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> I, I am very conscious every time before I go on to to ground myself, to center myself, to focus, yeah. to be in the show, to be in that moment where I have to rule on you know, the demise of the, these parents going through this divorce. And to this day, even though I'm not doing the show, I say both of my speeches every day and think through them instead of just saying the words. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, you left you that break in cats you did Once Upon a Smattress, right? Once, once I upon did. A and I was supposed to do that show. I was I, you know what? I, I remember that. Um, were you supposed to do Artie's? Dance track? Well, yeah, because I was in Victor Victoria at the time. Yeah. And, uh, they asked me to do it. And I, I don't know whose track I was supposed to do, but I ended up doing Dream, which was ill-fated instead. I did a different show that I got, um, right. which I should have stuck with Once Upon a Mattress. Um, we had, had a great time. As a matter of fact, happy birthday, Sarah Jessica Parker, tomorrow. Yeah. It's oh, her birthday. birthday. Oh, that's what was that date? The 25th. Yeah. Um, you know what? I actually left... <clears throat> Um, I left once upon, I left Cats to do a show called Forbidden Broadway Strikes Back. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And now this is something that was off Broadway where I took about an 80% pay cut Oof. to go to the triad, which yeah. was Steve McGraw's at the time. And I had been a fan of the Forbidden Broadway series when I was in, in college, I would listen to it, uh, Gerard Alessandrini. Um, it's just like this spoof where he, he, it's fantastic. The lyrics, he had changes the lyrics. And, and if you're not, if you're listening, you're not familiar with it, go back to the beginning of the Forbidden Broadway series and listen to, uh, the lyrics of Les Mis and the send ups of Carol Channing and, and Ethel Merman. It's, it's just remarkable. And they're on YouTube. You can, you can do it. And it's sort of like a Saturday night live, um, huh. evening of, and so I left the show knowing that it would be a great vehicle for my talents because <clears throat> although I was doing cats, the rum tum tugger, that is not my type at all. Like I would never get cast as Kanicki if I went into audition for Greece, I would be duty. Right. So, you know, like the, the wacky, the clown guy. Mm -hmm. So when I, when Forbidden Broadway Strikes Back came back, it was me, Brian Batt, Christine Petty, and Donna English. It's a great cast. Oh my gosh, did we have fun. I mean, we probably each had 40 costume changes. We sang the whole evening. Um, and so it was, I, I remember this and I, I tell this story often. It's one of those things where, you know, do you remember the moment where momentum started to change? <clears throat> and it was on a Sunday night. There's a casting director known as Jay Bender and he still works and he's still around. Mm -hmm. I owe a lot of my career to Jay Bender and Me then too. also Tara Rubin, which it was a casting director of Cats. Um, he was there on a Sunday seeing Forbidden Broadway Strikes Back. On Monday <laughs> morning, I got a phone call from Jay Bender's office saying they were looking for an immediate replacement for Once Upon a Mattress because one of the actors was being released. There was just a conflict of interest between the director and the actor and things weren't working out right and they were replacing the actor. So I went in on a Monday afternoon to audition for Once Upon a Mattress. On Tuesday morning, I was in the theater rehearsing for the show. Is that and before? Being in production. Oh, they I'm were? Sorry? They, well, that was before they, Oh, that was before opening, before preview started, but they were already in the theater teching. <clears throat> so I joined them. So I was rehearsing Once Upon a Mattress while doing Forbidden Broadway at night because I had to finish out my contract there. Um, and again, you know, Once Upon a Mattress was a dream come true. The show wasn't as successful as we would have liked to, to have been, but we did run nine months. Mm -hmm. um, Sarah Jessica Parker was a brilliant leader. Uh, she was fantastic. We made some of our best friends. David Aaron Baker <clears throat> was the other lead. Um, it was, it was, um, 
uh, Jerry Gutierrez's first attempt to direct a musical. And he had recently won two Tony Awards for two of the greatest things I had ever seen in my life, A Delicate Balance and The Heiress. I mean, these are heavy plays. So then when he had the opportunity to do um, a, a musical, he was like, I'm in. Well, it's not as easy as it looks. And so that's sort of where we just ran into a little bit of trouble. Um, uh, but it brought the cast so much closer together. And again, it's like you said with Victor Victoria, uh, we just, even though it was a bumpy road, it brought us all so much closer. And I am in contact with most of that cast to this day because of that experience. So, and then I was lucky enough to, the show closed. I remember it was the Tony Awards night that we closed that afternoon. And then Sarah Jessica went and did, um, she sang shy on the Tony Awards and then we were done. That was <laughs> it. Uh, but the next day I went right back into cats to get ready for, um, in 1997, I believe it became the longest running show in Broadway history. Right. So they brought me back, um, to do that performance. And, um, and then I stayed till 99. Yeah. So that was that little blip that I left. Right. Yeah. I, the cats was, yeah. I called it my annuity. Every time I'd go to a show, that show would close. Cats would call. I'd go back in. I'd get another show. Yeah. Cats would call when that show closed. And it, it just kept, I went in four, four different times to that show. It was, it was a fantastic. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a great gift. Um, I did the same thing, the role believe it or not, with and Sam Lightly. I've idolized Michael McGraw since we did Music Man back at Theater by the Sea <laughs> in Matunic, Rhode Island. And he is a star. He was a star. He would go to Theater by the Sea and do all of these amazing roles. It was family to him. And so I was Tommy Gilles and he was the Music Man. <clears throat> then he... If, if your listeners are going to go back and research Forbidden Broadway, him and his wife, Tony, were in a lot of the original Forbidden Broadways. Right. Because he just is that little sidekick guy. He's got that white. He's, he's like old school vaudeville with uh, a contemporary spin on musical theater. It's Nathan Lane and more. Um, you know, he's singing and dancing. So he actually was the actor that... I replaced in Once Upon a Mattress. So then I stepped into his shoes and I'm like, wait, I, I'm confused. They're letting Michael McGraw go and hiring me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's I, an honor. I was like, we kind of do the same thing. So uh, when Spamalot came and he originated the role of Patsy and was just brilliant, like that, that original company for Spamalot was, you couldn't touch them. Uh, they were the best of the best. So he was taking, um, I'm going to go back a little bit because I was just telling this story to someone. They were like, how did you end up in Spamalot? I auditioned for the tour. And when I auditioned for the tour, I wanted to, I was like, I'm Patsy. I, that's my role. I should be doing the Michael McGraw role, uh, just singing and dancing, a heart of gold, um, you know, just carries around the King's 18 pound backpack the whole show. Uh, so the feedback I got from the casting director, and I believe it was Tara Rubin, was you were the only other person that Mike Nichols liked. Oh. And I was like, Oh, that means I didn't get it, <laughs> which is exactly what it meant. I didn't get it. Uh, a, a wonderful actor named Jeffrey Dumas got it, and he went out on the road, and he was the lead in Spamalot, and I was at home unemployed. So he was out on the road, and Michael McGraw took a leave of absence to go do an encores uh, production where Casey Nicola was doing Follies, right. which he was brilliant at. Well, he took a leave of absence, making that role of Patsy available for four weeks. Jeffrey Dumas was already doing it on the road, so I was the runner-up. So I got to go to Broadway to <laughs> fill in for Michael for four weeks, which was a dream. Um, and then I left, and then Michael needed knee surgery, so they called me. Then he came back, then I left. Um, <laughs> And then Marty Moran was taking leave 
to go to Paris to do a book tour. So they brought me back in July to do the role of Robin for two weeks. Then I left. Then Michael McGraw gave his notice in September. So then I came back mm -hmm. in. Then I did the show for a while. Then I got fired. <laughs> in, in actor's terms, it felt like being fired. My contract was up and the show was coming towards the end of it. So they did what is known as stunt casting. Yep. Um, although that sounds bad. I mean, the word stunt, um, they brought in Drew Lachey, who had just won Dancing with the Stars. Mm -hmm. um, so for the summer, for three months, uh, I took a leave, let's say, for three months while Drew Lachey came back in for the summer. Then Drew left in September. Then I came back in oh and finished God. the front of the show. But you, I mean, it's it's those gifts like that, the annuities. You're like, hey, I'll do it. All, yeah. all I wore was a dress and I walked around and carried a backpack. But yeah, I mean, you've been, I, I listened to those stories and you've been fortunate because you've popped in and out of shows, but you also do voiceover work, which has been. I do. Gosh, you know, that's another thing about this this uh, quarantine that's so tricky to do. Um, I broke into the the voiceover industry back in 1996. And this is another great thing about having a long running show. People always say to me like, how did you stay that long? 2,197 performances. Oh my gosh, didn't you lose your mind? And the answer is no. Like that was my family and that was my show that I showed up at seven o'clock at night. But during the day was when I broke into voiceover world and then I was also able to break into teaching um, during 1996, that's when it all started, uh, because right. I had a steady job. Right. And that and teaching I, was with NYU, right? Cap 21. NYU Cap 21, which um, I'm still affiliated to this day, now through Malloy Cap 21. Mm -hmm. um, we can talk about that later, because that whole chain of events, um, gosh... I mean, you can't even write that. If we were writing a movie, you'd be like, wait, how did these puzzle pieces fall together? But it all comes from our relationship back in 1993 and Cats. Right. If we go back and connect the dots, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Malloy? Madison Theater slash musical theater department? Cap 21? What? Now one of you know the leading musical theater programs in the country? Uh, and, you know... Thank yeah. you, Andrew Lloyd Webber, I suppose. <laughs> I, absolutely. So to, go back to the voiceover the stuff. The voiceovers, yeah. It's not it's, an easy thing to get into. I mean, no, not at all. It's a small, small... Uh, it used to be. It used to be. And then, you know, for any of your listeners, it's one of those things, um, and I cannot believe now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, you're going to think that I'm making this up, but I am not. The first scene of the movie, Mrs. Doubtfire, Robin Williams is behind a microphone and he is voicing um, a bird and he's doing like a, a, a cartoon, but the bird's supposed to smoke. And so Robin Williams, and you can go back and, and um, Google, Google search YouTube, that first scene, when I saw Robin Williams doing that in the movie, Mrs. Doubtfire, I said to myself, I can do that. I can do all those voices. I always talk in voices. And then I'm doing this, and I would be scary guy. And I could do all this stuff. So I was like, I, I, I need to do that. So I found a woman that mentored me. Of course, I paid her a lot of money to do a demo reel. And this is back in the day. This is 1996, where you put together a demo reel of fake commercials that you'd done and somebody would produce it and then you would mail that to an agent and they would listen to it and see if you had potential. So not only could I do wacky doodle voices, but then I was also able to do that soft father that really cared, you know, or I could sell Toyota cars to you right now. So there was this huge range and I was lucky enough to be on the ground floor when a huge agency, uh, which is called ICM, when they were starting their department for non-celebrities. And I was a non-celebrity. I was a <laughs> Joe Schmo in the business that would work for scale. And um, that's when that all started. You know, unfortunately, unfortunately for us that were in that small family bubble, 
we went on strike around 2001. The industry completely changed with the internet, with USB capability, with microphones. Um, everybody is able to walk into their closet and record an audition and get a job. Um, so that, that, that family is not small anymore. For every audition, we would be lucky enough to be called in. And back in the old days, it was just like casting directors in New York would call in about 75 guys. And we would know that one of those 75 guys were going to win on that day because that was the casting call. And we would hear the spot, we would know the guy that did it, and we would congratulate him because we were going to see him seven times that day on other auditions. And now everyone's emailing their MP3s to agents. We are one of thousands. Yeah. You know, I, we don't even know if anyone's listening anymore. So uh, that's sort of the state. And, and now with this quarantine has changed everything. Um because that's what I was doing yesterday, researching to see how I can have the capability to be my own recording studio, um, which is not, I'm an actor, I'm an artist, I am not an engineer. And I was emailing some of my voiceover family saying like, I, 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 has got any luck with this? And most of us are on the side of the arts, you know? I can I can paint beautiful pictures with lots of colors, but when it gets down to technical stuff, uh, it's lost on me. So that's that's my homework for the next couple um, weeks is trying to keep up with the industry. Um, but it really did all start with Mrs. Doubtfire, and I hadn't even thought about that till you asked me. And it's like full circle. It is full circle. Well, yeah, I, I like the story great. that you tell about where you were put on hold for a voiceover. And then they asked you to come in and audition for it. Oh, yeah. That was um, when they were looking for, it, it has happened twice, where they wanted a David Hibbard type. Yeah, they always say that. But I, <laughs> I was available. And I had to call my agent. There's two stories that happened. So I had to call my agent and say, wait, what is going on? What What, what is going on? Uh, the one that you're talking about is that I had this gig, and it's still running, so I I could talk about it. It's Emblem Health, um, and and it's running. Um, and I was on hold for that date. And then my agent called me and said, "Hey, I've got an audition for you for Emblem Health." And I said, "But I'm already doing it." They're like, "Well, they just want you to put the script down on tape." And so it was the script that I was already supposed to do <laughs> a couple of days later. But it ended up it ended up working. I ended up finishing that one out. One of my favorite stories was I, I, um, there was this Coreg Health, and it was my doctor voice. Um, this is your heart. This is your heart. You know, when it when it's like the little beep, beep, beep yeah. is running. And I, uh, it's fuzzy. It's warm. It's what I do. So I auditioned for it, and I walked in for the booking. And the... Um, the engineer and the director and the producer were all there and they were like, Oh, thank you so much for coming. Um, let's just play your audition to remind you what you did, you know, because when you've got like 10 different voices, it's like, Oh, what did I do at the audition that booked me the job? So they played the audition and it wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't my voice. It, they were playing another guy's voice. Oh my and I God. had to tell them, I said, um, that's not me. <laughs> so did I win or did that guy win? Uh, and it ended up that they played the wrong audition. From the oh. <laughs> I showed up at that job thinking like they hired the wrong guy. <laughs> but they just happened to play his. I so mean, on my, I on my side of the table, that happens, you know because you see so many people and you get all these pictures and sometimes they don't, and you start laying them out. And, and inevitably in the casting process, you're like, no, that's the girl in the red uh, leotard. She goes, no, this was the, they have the same names. And we're like, no, no. And they said, no, this is it. So you decide on it. The first day of rehearsal, they walk in and we go, oh, we hired the wrong stop person. It. Oh, <laughs> stop it. Oh, no. Oh, it's no. they both were great. Don't get me wrong; they both were great. But you know, the intent was to hire one person, and we ended up, and you know, with the other person. 
it, but that happens, you know. It, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's it's logistics, and there's so much going on, um, and and the voiceover world too. It is all so subjective. Um, oh, you know, I, I I had a spot that was running. I was doing the voice of Toyota for almost two years. You know, get your Toyota, your Toyota, and your Rob Four, your Toyota, and it was just a gig, and it was my gig, and I was doing it, and I was selling Toyota cars, and and then one day. The producers were these young, they brought in young, young kids. And all of a sudden I'm saying Toyota wrong. I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, I mean, when you say Toyota, like, can you say a little more oi and a little less Oda and your Toyota and you're saying toy. And when you say Toyota, I was like, wait, something is going on. And I left that book and called my agent. And I was like, um, I think I'm done. I think they're done with me. Anyway, it's somebody else's gig. And and that's what I say. We go back to talking about family. You know, there's so many voiceover um, wonderful, talented men that have family and raise kids. And they need the job just as much as I need it. So it, it's when they win, we're thrilled. I'm seeing a lot of my uh, voiceover people on camera now, booking on camera spots. And you just root for them. You're like, good for them. They'll get their health care. They'll get their 401k. They get their pension. Um, we're all in it together. So I agree. I, if if I'm not going to get a job, I want my friend to get the job. You know, that's the way I always felt. You know, speaking of jobs, I mean, right now we're going through a terrible time. I'm glad you're health, healthy yeah. and safe. Yeah. You know, how's that affecting uh, Mrs. Doubtfire? Would you guys have like three or four previews before you, you guys? You, yeah, we are. We are the lucky ones. Um, not only did we have a really successful out of town tryout. So we've got a group of producers that have believed in this show from the beginning and continue to believe in it. Um, and, and I don't know how many of the listeners are familiar with, with the story of Mrs. Doubtfire, but it connects on so many levels to what's going on in society today. Broken families, a father fighting for the right to have his kids and that bond and that love. Um, that 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 makes you do things that are unthinkable, but you would do anything at any cost to be around your family and be around your children. And um, so it, it's something that really speaks and will speak to um, audiences everywhere. So we've got that behind us that it's tried and trued and it's already been a success. So we came to New York and we moved into the Sondheim Theater on 43rd Street on the east side of Broadway. Um, beautiful home. We set up shop. We, we, all of our costumes are there, our hair, our makeup. All of the numbers are choreographed. We're still working for what's known as a four-week preview process because there's still tweaks to do. There's still, still numbers. Uh, still 10 out of 12s. Mm -hmm. And still trying to figure it out. But during the preview process, um, what you do is you gauge uh, the show on the audience's response, right? So yeah. you're writing new lines, and if a line doesn't get a laugh, you'll give it maybe one more night. And Jerry Zachs is the greatest director ever. And this is my first time having the opportunity to work with him. He is a legend. So that in and of itself is a gift. Um, but, but he will sit and listen to the audience. And for him, it's all music. It's all rhythm. And if he's not hearing what he wants, the writers will go right back and give him a new line. Or if a number's not landing, Lauren Lataro is another up-and-coming brilliant choreographer. She did Waitress. Uh, she'll reimagine re dance steps that will resonate and help the numbers. So we are in that process. We got three shows in. We did oh. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then uh, Kevin McCollum, our, our fearless producer, has been so wonderful to all of us, giving us a sense of peace and, and helping keep us all calm. And he just gave us a call yesterday, called the whole cast, and he said, things are going to get difficult things are going to get scary. What we had thought was going to be a four week um, break. You know, they said, see you April 12th, come back to the theater. Don't take any of your stuff off your dressing room tables because we're getting back to work. And the more that the news comes out from the CDC, uh, it, 
nothing official has been announced, but we're thinking April 12th is probably not going to happen. Um, so we're in this world of uncertainty, as is everybody else. Uh, you know, you think of all of the gyms that have closed down, all of the restaurants that have closed down. So for us actors, this isn't new. We are used to being in pockets of uncertainty. This certainly is heightened. And a pandemic is something that none of us ever imagined in our wildest dreams ever to be a part of. But we are survivors and we will survive. Um, and luckily for Mrs. Doubtfire, we are in the beginning of the process. So when this nightmare is over, Broadway will reopen as it did during World War II, as it did during after 9-11. Yeah, I mean, this is what people are going to want to see. And all of your Madison Theater patrons, they're going to come back to the theater because that feeds our soul. That live... Uh, the live performance, you can't make it up. And I know a lot of people that are doing great things on YouTube and Instagram and they're singing, you know, from their bathtubs and it's all wonderful and I'm loving every bit of it, but it's still not live theater where you feel a part of it. So we will be back. Kevin McCollum also is producing um, a show called Six. Mm -hmm. which if your, your listeners, it had a great <laughs> run in London and in Chicago. Their opening night was supposed to be Thursday, March 12th. Oh. The day Broadway closed was their opening night. So again, he's got his eye on the prize and, and, and he set those girls aside and, and said, we are going to be the first show to open when Broadway reopens. Anyway, so, so we're going to be back better than ever. And it's just a matter of being patient and being productive, staying in shape, working out, making sure I can still do the choreography because for some reason I'm still dancing at my age oh, and I may even be doing hip hop. So what so, are you? You're 35 now, right? Oh, bless your soul. I want to say that I'm three years younger than you. <laughs> I don't. I don't even I know still, how old. I you still are. feel like I'm in my 30s, but I do too. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Let's. Yeah. let's I, I wanna. I wanna get into your teaching and and how that fell in your lap. I mean, I mean, I brought you to Malloy when I got hired at Malloy College. I, I brought. I remembered that you were teaching at NYU, and I said to you, we're, "They're looking at." starting up a musical theater program here. Can you help me get started here? Because I had no experience with that. And, uh, you know, but what we <laughs> can go as on. As luck to, would have it. Yeah. As luck would have it. You know. That's where the story unfolds. Um, talk talk uh, about your teaching first before you yeah, get into this. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so um, I went to college at The Ohio State University, go Buckeyes, to be a choir teacher. My, my love in high school, and that's funny, right before you called, I was on face, uh, Facebook just checking in and this choir, this, um, these five men from their homes, were, they belonged to a group and they were all singing this choral number and I almost burst into tears. It is something that is so deep in my soul when I hear choral music. Yeah. I can't explain it. And it comes from my choir teacher, Mr. Shelley, who's no longer with us, um, unlocking a part of my heart that I never even knew existed. You know, I grew up with, with music. I'm one of 10. We have 10 kids in our family. Susan, Cynthia, Diane, Kathy, John, Karen, Janice, David, Mary, Michael. There's 10 how of many, us in 11 years. How many, on, how many uh, nephews and nieces? Oh, to heavens. Uh, I have 29 nieces uh, oh and nephews, and then we are already into our greats. And oh so we're God. 27 and counting. We are so blessed. Congratulations. Um, so we were a musical family. We were Catholic. We made up the whole folk mass at church. So I always had music. And so when I went to college, I majored in music ed. Um, and then long story short, I ended up doing some theme park, and then I ended up auditioning for Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera and met a bunch of people from New York after I graduated from college. And I was offered the job, 
K through six, my elementary school where I had student taught, there was a position available. So I was offered that job in the fall, but I had just met all of these kids from New York the summer of 1988 doing summer theater in Pittsburgh. And my brainiac brother, John, was moving to New York City to get his PhD in astronomy at Columbia University. So there I was with this decision. Do I play it safe, move to Columbus, Ohio, and teach kindergarten through sixth grade? Or do I jump in the car with my brother and $275 in my pocket <laughs> and go to New York City? <laughs> so... Well, I jumped in the car. No regrets. Yeah, but talk uh, about your first audition. You didn't even want to. You, you just like followed a friend or you drove a friend. Oh, oh, this was the audition for Pittsburgh. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea what it was. There were 10 of us that jumped in a van because all of these kids in the music department were in the know. And I was like, hey, singing show tunes? I love show tunes. So <laughs> I ended up jumping in the car with this with this group. We drove to Pittsburgh. We did the first round of auditions and I got a call back and then the head uh, voice teacher at Ohio State University, um, her name is Jocelyn McDonald, I believe, uh, we got called back. So then the next week, it was just me and her driving to Pittsburgh for this. Yeah. I mean, life is weird how things, how things fall into place. And again, you, you connect the dots years later and go, Oh my heavens, how did that come together? So, and I'm going to go back to, to my teaching experience when I was doing cats, um, I was able to meet Amy Francis who was best friends with my partner's best friend because my partner, Charlie uh, Underhill, was on the road as a company manager with Carousel in 1996. The piano player, his name was Paul Lazel. His best friend was Amy Francis. She had just been hired at CAP 21 to help facilitate faculty. She knew through Paul that I was a teacher with a degree. She asked me if I would like to come to CAP 21 to help sub some of their um, audition technique classes and vocal performance classes. So from 90, about 96 to 99, I was a sub. She would call me, I would come into the classroom and do my thing. And then I taught their summer program from 96 to 99. And then around the year 2000, I took my first class. Um, and I remember that because then in, in September of 2001, I had my sophomores when when uh, World Trade Center that that's a terrible part of our lives, but it was connected to that classroom. I remember seeing those kids' faces, and um, I'm like, this was my one of my first classes that I had at Cap Twenty One, and you know we were with NYU uh, for 15 years, um, so NYU's studio. We were the musical theater studio, you know. It's, it's kind of complicated to explain how NYU works, but they're kind of like the nucleus and they have these little um, octopus arms that go out and each one of the arms is a different studio focusing on a different art form, whether it's film and TV, whether it's experimental, whether it's, you know, tech and then musical theater and straight so, acting and stuff like yeah, that. Yes, straight acting. So, so Cap 21 was their musical theater arm. Uh, NYU decided that they wanted to open up their own musical theater program that would live in the Tisch School. So they they cut the Cap 21 arm off and and allowed us to um, become a two year professional program. And all the while, Cap was looking for a new home. So they had been talking to Hunter. They'd been talking to um, Alvin Ailey Dance Studio. And then that's when you came to me and said, hey, I work at this, you know, Rockville Center and I'm the artistic director at the state of the art theater and there's no program here. So when you came and said, you know, help me write something, I, I was like, I don't know if I know how to do that curriculum, but my CAP 21 is looking for a new home. 
And, um, you know, it was a couple years into writing the curriculum. Like, didn't it take about two years? It took, to really it took about three years to actually get started because I, I came to you my first year there. And uh, that was in nine, 2011 or 12. And we connected CAP and Malloy in 2012, but they didn't finalize their deal until the first year, which was 2014. Because oh, that was something wow. too, it was quick. Because I start, I think they started fall of 2014. Isn't that interesting? It feels longer to me only because it feels like home. It does. You know, oh. Malloy, Malloy feels like home. And and again, with with our summer program that we've been running there. Yeah. Um, we spend so much time and for these kids, you know, it's their home. Although we have the Manhattan uh, center down on 50 Broadway, which all the students uh, commute to take all of their classes. Well, not all of them, a, a good portion of their studio classes in the city, which is where I would teach is downtown. Um, well, the reason we started this summer intensive was to fill that void when there was no musical theater program at Malloy, and I think CAP was transferring over to Malloy, and they were losing their uh, two-year certificate program. They were losing their summer program because of studio space and stuff like that, so yeah, we picked it, it up. It got tricky. It was a tricky transition from NYU. So, you know, w when we had the, the label of NYU above us, it was easy to shop for students that wanted to come and do a summer program. When the NYU label left, um, it was a little harder sell for just CAP. And that's when we decided to do the summer program, which how many kids did we have that first year? We had 14 kids and two interns. Oh. We had 16 people. And now we have 80 students with five and five directors, five musical directors, eight interns, it's six insane. or seven workshop. Oh, yeah, it's huge. And it's growing. Yeah. And, and I remember the first, the first summer at the end of the, the summer, it was sort of like a show and tell for the parents. Yeah. And now we've turned it into three hour shows. Well, we're going <laughs> to this. Well, we're going to, we're going to, it's hard to say no, you know, these kids have such a great time it's and the opportunity that, that, you know, we bring in the best of the best from Manhattan and these kids are, um, they work their tails off. So it's hard to be like, no, we're not going to put that in the show, but what a great like opportunity. Sometimes, like, like you're a core, you were going to be a choir director, a choral director. If our choral, num choral numbers don't meet our standard, they don't make the show all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that happened once. I'm going to start. Yeah. I'm starting to shop for a new choral number for this uh, for this summer program coming up. I'm excited about it. Yeah, um, when we did summer yeah, over rainbow that one year, it was brilliant. It was just it brilliant. Was, yeah, it was, it was remarkable. I mean, again, I, I, I've been teaching for so long and it's never lost on me. And I remind my students all the time how lucky they are. You know, and it sounds so cliche. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, we never had these opportunities, but we didn't. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have the opportunity to, to see other people doing and identify with them. You right. know, um, I would see an old black and white movie uh, or, or or singing in the rain, and I would go, "Oh, what's that guy doing, Donald O'Connor? What's that? Oh, he's making sounds with his shoes. What's that?" <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm simplifying it. Yeah. But now they have the world, and even if we don't, um, these kids don't become performers for life. The skills that that um, we we give them the tools to do anything, to do team building, to do ensemble building, um, idolizing Broadway performers that come in to teach them lessons about professionalism and respect, um, stuff like that. You can't pay for, so, ah, to be a kid these days. To be a kid these days. I would I, never want to go back, for the record. Yeah, I remember watching The Barn Dance from Seven Brides for Seven Brother, the movie. Sure. And that's what made me want to dance. And then I saw Kiss Me Kate and the uh, uh, the dancing in Kiss Me Kate. Just, I just said, I can do that. I can do that. It I want to do to that. You. Yeah, yeah, those are the two shows that really spoke to me. And I thought, amazing. 
And then I came to Broadway. My first Broadway show was Annie back, the original cast of Annie back in 75 or 76. I can't remember. I think it was 76. And I sat there watching these kids on stage and I was like, I can do that. You know, I never thought <laughs> it's you know, a hard knock life for me too. It's a hard knock life for me. I can do that. Yeah. I can throw my bucket around and scrub the floors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one thing I love about our relationship is that we've, we've come for full circle, but we've always kept it light. We've always kept it, uh, with a lot of humor attached to it. We laugh a lot. You and I butt heads a lot. That's okay. That's okay. But that's the brilliance yeah. of it. It is. It is. And any any relationship like ours, and again, I mean, I consider us family. We've known each other for so long. Uh, is that you can't just be all one dynamic. Oh, that's great. You're great. No, you're great. No, I think you're great. You're great. Oh, we're great. You don't get anywhere. You know, so it's it's a pushing and a pulling. It's a seesaw up and down. Uh, The great thing about us is that we've evolved into, I mean, we talk about what has it been, 27 years? Yeah. We've evolved into um, uh, these three-dimensional characters that we could never (laughs) have written back in 1996. Like, oh, this is what I'm going to be. You know, with you, with your producing and artistic directing, you know, and still performing and you're still choreographing these kids in the summers. Yeah, it almost kills me, but... Yeah, but we've just taken what we did and we still do it, but just in a different way. And and that's why we're blessed, you know. I've got a lot of my performers that I've worked with that did one thing and they did one thing really well and then it was over. And then they're just searching they're sort of like in the middle of a a lake with no ripples and just floating around you know wondering what's next um but i think that we the two of us and there's many people like us so i'm not mm-hmm. I'm not isolating us but we just kept again those balls in the air and we kept juggling and when we dropped a ball we just kept juggling with the other two and then somebody would throw us a third and we were like yeah i got this i got this yeah. so you know, in the midst of this COVID, you know, coronavirus and and all of this, we just have to hold on to that belief that we will come out of this and we will be survivors. Oh. And um, yeah, who knows? I, I, you know, bigger and better than ever. Um, it'll just be the same. And we'll yeah. do summer program and the kids will come back and and hopefully things will be simpler. Um and we'll have a sense of appreciation and everybody will wash their hands more often. More, exactly. Not because we tell them to. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask one final question. This is, uh, I think we sort of touched on it. We talked about Kevin McCollum and I remember, you know, if uh, our viewers or our listeners don't know, he actually produced Rent. He was, I think that was his first big, big show. Sure, but he was a musical theater performer that went to Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. You know, so he moved to New York like all of us yep. and wanted to be a Broadway star. Um, uh, yeah. But there, you know, there are shows or performers that have influenced all of us. You know, some of them have changed our lives. It's that light bulb moment, or I wanna be like him, or I wanna be like her, or whatever. Um, who is that for you? Is Is there a person that, really shaped you or is it just the the entire industry or the people that you work you know there was um there isn't i wish there was an easy answer to that question because um i would love to have the answer to be like hey yeah oh it was donald o'connor when i saw singing in the rain but that's not what the answer is right um even though i would see fred astaire it, it that wasn't the answer i do remember um the moment that the the fire was uh the embers were burning brighter and i went to my freshman year of college um i didn't have i didn't have the the guts to major in music education i was going to be a marketing and sales major <laughs> and i went to a school called miami university in oxford ohio because that's where all the preppy kids went and they were going to make a lot of money and so i was going to major in marketing and sales 
I was miserable. My freshman year of college, I was that per that person in the middle of the lake on the boat, drifting nowhere. I would walk by the music building and I would hear music come and I would be a stage door Johnny and just <laughs> listen into these practice rooms where I, I didn't belong here at all. Um, wanting to belong, but not knowing anything about it. So then I saw, and this is so old school, auditions for a Stephen Sondheim musical called Company. And I thought to myself, I'm going to audition for the musical. I'm going to get in and my life is going to be perfect. <laughs> so this was back in the day. I went to the listening center library and I had to put headphones on and I would listen to company over and over and over again. Bobby, 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 baby, Bobby, booby, Bobby, darling, angel, come on over for dinner. And there's actually a revival coming up with Patti Lapone where they've changed the genders. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. So that production, I wanted it so bad. I could taste it. I could feel it. I could smell it. I went to the audition. I grew a little beard because they had to be older guys in their 30s. I wore an Argyle sweater. I sang Corner of the Sky, right, from Pippin. Everything has its season. Everything has its time with my Argyle sweater and my new facial hair. And the day of the, um, the cast list coming out, not on it at all. Oh. I did not get it. And I was heartbroken. And I, I did something very rash. I decided to transfer schools. I said, forget <laughs> it. I, I'm not going to this school. I'm going to Ohio State where all my friends were. And so it was that, um, Moment. that's what fueled me, not getting that show, knowing that, and I went and saw it and it was great. I should have been in it. And then I keep thinking, if I was in it, if that was easy for me, I would have just like auditioned for shows and been a marketing and sales director somewhere, whatever they do. Mm -hmm. um, so it was sort of that, that moment in time, you know, as you were talking about seeing those shows, it was that moment in time and that moment of rejection that sort of fueled this fire to, you know, and, and then when I went to in, in 88, when I went to Pittsburgh and met those kids from New York, I was inspired by them. A lot of them had done Broadway shows, had done tours. So they they inspired me. So it wasn't an I didn't idolize a performer, but it was more that I was so inspired by moments in my life that propelled me forward. Yeah. Yeah. Is there yeah, a dream Ashton. role? Is there a dream Ashton. role? Is there a dream role? I mean, you know, uh, gosh, I'm old school. So my dream roles are still Harold Hill in The Music Man, but Hugh Jackman's going to be doing that in the fall, which I understand. Well, maybe we'll and do I, it at Madison and hire you as hey, well. Well, yeah. I got trouble, my friends. Right here's a trouble right here, Riverside West Shore. You know that fast talking. <laughs> I just love the fast talking wise guys, yeah. and um, I love Bye Bye Birdie. I love Albert Peterson in Bye Bye Birdie. Wow. I still want. Yeah, it's just those. Those regular Joes that are just hustling, trying to make it happen. Like those are the roles that um, that I'm I'm still got my eye on the prize, you know, and it doesn't have to be Broadway. Anyone out there listening, I'll go to your town and do music <laughs> man and bye bye birdie. That's but then right. I would have to memorize the lines and at our age, oh, it gets tricky. The last year. Yeah, what a choice. This has here. been this has been a blast. It has been, and I want to really thank you for coming up. Um, it, this is just, uh, it's just good to chat with you. Something, you know, we're good friends, but I sometimes we just don't get down, you know, get to talk to each other very much. Uh, there's always, so, there's so, always something on the table that needs to be a box needs to be checked. Oh, absolutely. We, have, you know, we have to talk about the summer program. We have to talk about how we're going to develop it and, and how we're moving forward with it this year. So there's a lot that we ha still have to work on, and we'll be talking with each other much more frequently. Yeah, but again, during this one period, we've got how many more weeks of this mess do we have? It, and it really is the time. You know, we should yeah. get together, get Michelle, let's Zoom. We'll play a game virtually and, and just that's, laugh. I think that's a great idea.
Yeah, you That's guys it. make spaghetti and meatballs. I'll make spaghetti and meatballs. We'll pretend we're sharing the same platter. <laughs> That's fun. That's we, fun. We, okay, so that will wrap things up for today's podcast. I want to thank my guest and friend, David Hibbert, for playing along with us today. Uh, we appreciate this time and dedication to keeping theater real. Our next podcast, we will be speaking with James Silverstein and Kelsey McFall, two of our Malloy seniors who've had an exciting yet turbulent senior year here at Malloy CAP 21 Theater Arts Program. Uh, please visit us online. It's www.madisontheaterny.org. We'll have a lot more information about what's coming up and when the theater will be reopening after this scare is up. I hope everyone stays safe and healthy during this time. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. I want to thank producers Kathleen the Machine Marino, Eileen Swagger Sweeney, and the VP of Advancement Edward the Terrific Thompson. Technical support and editing by Calvin the Great Guevara Flores. Graphic designs by Francis Bouncing Bonnet and Sarah Prancing Palazzolo. 